Don't let a backwards hat and sneakers stop you from becoming the success that you can be. That is one thing that I took out of this book. You Owe You by Eric Thomas. Good morning and welcome to the Mastermind Library. I'm John Perry, the Reach Architect, together with... Good morning, Derek Agerberg, the Approval Coach. And this morning we're going to talk about You Owe You by Dr. Eric Thomas, who had a very interesting upbringing, uh, put it together in this book, and I think there's some real glimpses of some spectacular self-actualization uh, throughout it. Um, an interesting story of uh, struggles to success and uh, a little bit of a peek of what it might look like inside my own mind at times, which I found a little startling. What do you think of it? Um, so first question, did you know who Eric Thomas was prior to reading the book? I did not know who Eric Thomas was prior to reading this book. Okay, so I think most people don't know who he is or they've seen his uh, success video that is out on YouTube without knowing that it's him, without knowing that it's him and then realizing that, Oh, they've probably seen the, when you want success as bad as you want to breathe speech, then they know who Eric Thomas is. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's interesting. I, I really enjoyed the book and I, I have started, I guess, critiquing books compared to other books. So I, I find myself having to stop and pretend I'm rereading only this book, not rereading it from the standpoint of having, having read 500 other books. Um, because if I had compared it to those other books, I would see lots of nuggets that I've heard from other books. But I think it is a well-rounded story as a autobiography mm -hmm. of himself going from the almost rags to riches story but in a way that I think a lot of, uh, of Americans may not have ever dreamed of success before. So, you know, if you say you come from a family that may be three generations of Ivy League graduates, this book is probably not going to resonate with you. But if you come from a background that you don't really believe you can do anything other than blue collar manual labor, I think this book really will resonate with you. And so I found myself having to go back and forth with, who's the book written for and how would that person potentially perceive it? And I think there's a lot of good nuggets in there. Yeah. He has found an identity with his niche audience and he does have a niche audience. Uh, it's because he brings something different to the arena of, he is a public speaker and a motivational speaker. He gets hired by corporations and sports teams to uh, inspire them. He is, a, I believe, a pastor as mm -hmm. well, uh, and he goes about honing his craft of speaking the way that a lot of athletes hone their ability to uh, compete. You know, uh, Michael Jordan was cut from his high school team. Uh, he was bullied by the Pistons in his earlier years until he put on muscle, mm -hmm. you know, and then he went out and, you know, talk to the refs about their kids so that he wasn't a jerk to them or seen as a jerk by them and got potentially favorable calls. It's also known as the Jordan rules. And I can see parallels between a story of that and what he's done with his craft of speaking, where he always had the ability to speak. He just didn't realize it until a certain point. And then it became like he says, his superpower mm -hmm. that he activated and he was able to rally around it. And he didn't even think it was something that could be a viable profession for a long time. And even then, 
he didn't realize the amount of people willing to pay for this particular skill. And because he has his own very unique point of view because of his upbringing, because he is one in, of, of a very unique nature and a sea of, well, white men who typically dominate the public speaking circuit. And he talks about that. He, he, talk he, about that. he talks about that, you know, when he looked at the public speaking, that you have the Zig Ziglar's and the Jim Rohn's and the Bob Proctor's and that Les Brown, who is in his mind, the goat, yes. you know, it was Les Brown is the only African-American public speaker. And so you're right. It, the book is written um, with his backstory and remember the book, Good to Great? Yes. Okay, so he, he mentions that and he references that sometimes you have to get rid of the good to go for the great. And he actually grew up fairly okay, if you read the book. Um, you know, his mom married a gentleman who really wanted to have a father and they never really told him that he had another biological father. And so his his normalized upbringing wasn't bad, according to him. His normalized upbringing came crashing to a halt when he realized that he was lied to and there was a biological father. And he took that as what I perceive as a victim mentality and he spiraled out of control. Yes. He, he talks about um, being a victim in victimhood and how, if you let that take over your life, uh, it's, there's only a one way path and it's not a good path. And he struggled with it for years until essentially he ran away from home. Mm -hmm. You know, his mom still supported him a little from the shadows uh, when he was willing to let her in, he put up the barrier, not yeah. his family. Although it did sounds like it, it caused an issue with his, I guess, stepfather uh, long term that he's still working on repairing. And, you know, it's interesting, though, that he found his North Star with the young lady who uh, captivated him. And ultimately, one of the reasons why he dug himself out of this hole is to be the man that she would need in her life. Mm -hmm. So, and again, I, I struggle now that we've done so many of these that I, I have to not gauge the book necessarily against other books, but I, I'm trying to gauge the book on somebody who may have read it for the first time without a huge knowledge library. So he talks about what's your why. And, and we've heard that theme in a lot of books, Simon yep. Sinek, what's your why, uh, or start with why. And and his why became his family and his why became becoming that leader that other people needed. Um, like he talks about going to college and he went to college and started a advantage program on the college campus that he wasn't really getting paid for. It was just something that he did. And he wanted to, my perception, wanted to help lots of people, wasn't really seeing how to monetize it. So stepping back, what's interesting is here's a book about basically how he became an, an influential, influential public speaker mm -hmm. and his journey and the people that he needed along the way and the struggles along the way. And hey, you can do it too. And he did it his way. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like I mentioned in the opening, uh, he wanted to be true to himself and he turned down a $10,000 paying opportunity because he had to wear a suit because he had, because they, they insisted he wore a suit and, that wasn't who he was. And I can relate to that a little bit as <laughs> my fashion style has evolved over the last several decades. And there was a period of time where I just wanted to be comfortable in what it was and I was projecting. And I don't think that I'm 
putting down what I once wore, there was just a point where I needed to find the right way to evolve my own sense of style to be where it is today on my own terms. I know that you asked me many times beforehand to uh, dress a little nicer for certain events to meet certain people. And I, like an uh, uh, obtuse fool, you know, didn't follow your advice and maybe that had cost me some opportunities. And that was maybe something that I was subconsciously willing to sacrifice mm -hmm. because I needed to be true to how I was at that moment. He has to wear his backwards hat and that's how some people know him. And then that followed up with another paying gig of, hey, but we insist that you wear your shoes and the hat because that's how we know you from the video. That's what sets you apart mm -hmm. from the rest of your field. So it's interesting when some people perceive a weakness, other people perceive a strength. And that's another thing, you know, being true to yourself and using your strengths truly as strengths that he conveys throughout this book. Yeah. I, I actually really enjoyed the book. I don't know. And let's go back to the mastermind library. Yes. John, is this on your top shelf? This is not on my top shelf. This is okay. probably not even on my top three shelves. Okay. Uh, because like you said, it's kind of, at some point I have to compare it with the other books that I have and reading over 500 books. This is probably in my top 150 yet. My top 150 doesn't necessarily make my top three shelves, which are only 81 close three, 13, 26. That's 91. <laughs> 91. So my top three shelves. I do math for a living. It's uh, fine. No worries. Um, but it doesn't make my top 91. Right. And, and so it's a good book. I would have no problem referring it to people. I'm glad that I read it. Uh, I definitely got some nuggets of information out of it and through a different perspective and a lens that maybe I didn't have before. Um, now here's, what's interesting. I am, I've bought three more copies of the book. Okay. I'm going to ask all three of my sons to read the book. So if you say Derek Egberg for my top three shelves, you know, it, it's teetering between shelf three and shelf four. Yeah, I think it's a well-written book. There's some useful tools in there. Um, but I, I feel like my boys will all read it and listen to a struggle story and see somebody who still went to college and has still, um, I, I love his working on himself all the time. And I've never heard a public speaker talk about, you know, continually working on the craft. And, you know, he was very open and honest about you know, he practices voice modulation and he looks at sometimes he is rasping his voice just to give himself a little bit more authority, credibility or, you know, et cetera. And looking at, okay, maybe my boys need to learn because sometimes they don't want to be like their parents. Maybe they need to learn that, okay, this is somebody who went from here to here in life. And so they've changed their station. Boys keep working on your craft and hear it from a different perspective. So, um, I think it's a good enough book to give out to people and I, I'm going to give a book to all three of my sons and, mm -hmm. you know, demand they read it and see what happens. You know, they'll tell me no, but I think it's a, a great, great starter book for somebody who has never really taken action before. Mm -hmm. If it's somebody who is already playing at an elite level, it's probably not going to resonate with them because this, his ending of the book is put the book down, it's time to turn the tape off and get after it type yes. stuff. And I, you hear that a lot again, you know, action is what's needed. It's not thinking, it's not posturing, it's action. 
But this book, I think, is written for the person who needs to take the first step and realize there's a huge journey out there that Eric Thomas wasn't born in a day. No. He didn't become successful overnight. That video you and I watch has been on the internet for years, just incubating on YouTube before anybody really realized who Eric Thomas was. And if you read the book, it was only because somebody used it and cut it up as a workout video that you over and over heard him say, when you want success as bad as you want to breathe. And all of a sudden that person's video is really what blew up Eric's video and mm -hmm. catapulted him. Absolutely. I mean, he talks about taking 12 years to get his baccalaureate, mm -hmm. you know, because he wasn't in the right place at the right time. He, he, he followed his girlfriend to college and he started college. He was not a learner. He talks about his dyslexia. He talks about his learning disabilities mm -hmm. and how he had to overcome certain things. And while in college, although he wasn't doing well in college, he found out that he also got his GED, the book mentions, that he found more of a passion helping those just taking the steps that he had just left himself. Mm -hmm. He found that uh, he talked about the, the Bell Tower uh, Ministry that he started with uh, CJ, uh, another uh, a good friend that he met at college, and started honing his craft of public speaking. He talked about getting invited to certain events and public speaking, and it was one of those events that led him to his job at Michigan and uprooted his family. He talked about, and this is I'm bringing this up because between his travels and following his girlfriend with basically no backup plan and no clear vision of, you know, how he's going to pay for the totality of college to then going there 12 years, getting his baccalaureate, getting grounds, getting uh, rooted in the, in the community to leaving and going to Michigan for a job opportunity that ultimately led him to his doctorate, ultimately led him to uh, starting to preach more. And then just having his church basically ask him to leave this community that he, once again, he founded, he had to, leave now some of his flock followed him and requested that he preach but it kind of created a rift within that uh religious community it sounded like and he had to constantly get uncom into uncomfortable situations to f have that breakthrough like a good to great mm -hmm. kind of thing he had to get past the good to f to get to the great when he already thought he was doing great something happened uh success suicide as we've heard in another book mm -hmm. and, and, and reset his clock to put, put in that uncomfortable position. Cause how often is it just so easy to be, I'm not doing bad and I'm comfortable. I think we all hit that. And, and there again, when you say that, okay, sometimes it's, and we hear it phrased as things don't happen to you. They happen for you. Mm -hmm. And that's how he, approach that, that, okay, some of the people in his church may not have appreciated his modern style or his non-traditional style, if you will. But if that's what helped a congregation grow, then it was working. And if you split the sheets with a certain portion of the congregation, okay, now you're going to grow this way and they're going to grow that way. And it's not bad for either of them if you view it as an opportunity to continue to grow and hone your craft or your congregation or your business or, or what it is. Um, 
you know, a couple of interesting things for me, again, going back to what Eric has set up here, you mentioned CJ, his, his business partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everybody needs good people around them. And he talks about who you surround yourself with. And we've heard of the disc profile yes. for forever. And he has created something that he calls his flight assessment. Now, I don't know if he created that or if it's, you know, adapted from something else with his terminology, with his terminology, but it really is a disc profile. And so he breaks the disc up into pilots, flight attendants, ground crew, and air traffic controller. And if you go take the test, it, it will line up very similar with a disc profile. And I think there's a lot of people who are very educated business people that all talk about the disc profile. But if you talk to a newbie in business or a college kid, a disc profile sounds absolutely threatening and scary. But if you take a flight assessment and it comes up with vernacular that most of us have heard, okay, it's now not a scary thing. So I think, again, a lot of this is built to, here's the first time buyer, if you will, and here's some tools. And he's got a 60 plus page PDF on his website that you can get right out of the book. And it's a fairly well-written document that's a, a good life planning of where you want to go and what you want to do and, and the steps that you need to get there. And it doesn't feel like the traditional, um, and no offense, but the traditional Franklin Covey business planner that we all grew up with in the 90s. Strength Finder 2.0 yeah. and all that kind of. It's a... Uh, and again, I think it's done, like you said, as a vernacular for a younger professional or for somebody who's wanting to get into a more white collar career path, you know, or uh, for people who just didn't believe that there's a path for them. And that, and I think that the way that things are set up now with education being as expensive as it is now, you know, there's, there's a lot of trades that are going to need people working them in the next five to 20 years. And there's actually really good money in trades. I don't know why blue collar got such a bad rap as, uh, you know, as a society. I don't. I'm, I'm gonna have a hard time grasping as as a society where it was it was a less upon thing. Um, when there's good money, there's good security, there's good benefits working as a plumber, as an electrician, as an HVAC technician, and uh, as a medical assistant. As, I mean, there's a lot of things that are blue collar. Uh, Garbage men make more than most people realize. Now, I understand it may not be someone's desire to be a garbage man, yet it's still an honorable position. I mean, heck, uh, we're in an agriculture town. There are agriculture pickers who make more than $25 an hour because they are very proficient and skilled at their job. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. There, there isn't. And, you know, look, in, in our society, I think we have to compete and tag people into groups. And I think that's sometimes one of our strengths and sometimes one of our biggest weaknesses mm-hmm. that, you know, when when we as a country want to fight against something, man, it, you know, again, let's go back to, say, when the Twin Towers fell. Mm-hmm. This country was united against something. And when there's nothing to fight against, then you have white collar versus blue collar fight. Then you have, you know, the the Ivy League school versus the trade school. And you, you have lots of different things to fight against. Um, and I think what I did appreciate about Eric's book is it there isn't anything fighting against. I mean, he does talk about some underserved uh, communities and the, the, 
some victim. He fights against himself. And, and he does. And so, but it's the path of, hey, it's me. And, and I'm the only person responsible for my success. Mm-hmm. And what he gets to in the end is, look, the only person you really owe is you. Mm-hmm. And you owe it to yourself to be 1% every day better. You owe you to go hone your craft every day. And he talks about whether you're a sculptor, an artist, are you practicing your craft? But do you also go look at the other masters and learn what what they did mm-hmm. to be amazing? And then he talks about, you know, sports athletes. If you're a top-tier sports athlete, you're probably watching lots of film, not only on yourself, but on the competition so you can learn their nuances as well. Um, and it's interesting that he then turned the coin and he did say, look, losers focus on winners, winners focus on winning. And so it's not, you're not focusing on other people trying to bring them down. You're focusing on other people. What made them great? Mm-hmm. And how does that make you great er on your path from good to great? Um, and so I really did appreciate the fact that he talked about meeting Bob Proctor, Les Brown, and some of the people that I know in his industry and say, you know, he really did take some great nuggets from those people. Um, and it's funny, sometimes what we hear is not what we hear. And I, th- I know I do it. I do it all the time. I, I know we both do it sometimes to each other. And he talks about when he met uh, Bob Proctor. Yes. And, and Bob said, you know, don't take, you know, $20,000 is what he heard. heard. And so his next few speeches, his business partner, CJ, requested $20,000 and he started getting it. And he was so amazed that he was getting $20,000. And so when he saw Bob... Because he was only getting about $1,500 to $3,000 a gig. Well, and he talked, if he was offered $800, he would take whatever they offered. So if the the hiring person offered 800, he takes it, 1500, he takes it. He didn't have a set price. It was low though. And he didn't have a contract either. Yeah. And then when he met Bob Proctor months later at another engagement and Bob asked him how it was going and he said, oh my gosh, you know, thank you so much for telling me, you know, take $20,000. And he said, Bob then returned by saying, I didn't say take 20,000. I said, take no No less less than than 20,000. And again, mind blown that wait a minute, so I've been asking the minimum this whole time and I got it, but you're saying there is no ceiling on what's capable. And I know, again, sometimes we view books differently. One of the takeaways is there isn't a ceiling. No. Look, there's no ceiling for what this mastermind library is. There's no ceiling for what John Perry, the reach architect can do. There's no ceiling for what Derek Agerberg, the approval coach can do. And yet we feel like, man, there's, there's not enough time in the day man, I don't know if I've got the energy to go do any more. Just got to find the right audience. You know, it's something that I learned back as a kid when I was collecting comics. You're, it's worth what someone is willing to pay. And if you have the talent, the knowledge, and you're willing to share it at a price, find out what that market's willing to pay. You know, a comic book could have been worth $2. It could have been worth $20,000. It could have been worth $2 million. Uh, it leads me back to that story. Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember where I heard it from about the car. the The dad gave the daughter a car. You know, that's that's made the rounds on the internet you know, a lot. Where, yeah, where you know he gives <clears throat> the daughter an, an older car, and he's like, uh, "Here's your car. Um, before you do anything with it, take it to uh, uh, a, 
uh, a car dealership and see what they'd give it for it. And she brought it to the dealership, brought it back, said that they'd give her $2,000. He said, okay, now bring it to a pawn shop and see what they'd give it to you. She brought it to a pawn shop, brought it back, said they'd give her about $200. And he's like, okay, now take it to a car, this kind of car show and see what they'd give it to you. That's what someone would give for it or what a value at. She brought it to the car show and they came back and it was like $200,000 because it happened to be an extremely rare, limited production value. There was no rust, although it was dirty, there was no rust on it. It had original interior and all these little bells and whistles that just made it such a, a desirable thing for a collector's niche. And, and she brought it back and she was blown away by this. And he's like, the value is in the perspectives of the company that is it around. So kind of in the same var mm -hmm. variance, you know there's value that you have and there is no ceiling in what you can charge as long as you are around those who appreciate what it is that you have and what you can bring to the table. And I think he does a good job of portraying that within the book that what he has and what he brought to the table was not something that he started out in life thinking that this was where it's going to get at some point in time though, he did realize that. And especially when his talks about struggles with his, he has uh, his wife had suffered a, must, uh, multiple sclerosis, all of a sudden he had to provide even more. Mm -hmm. And then he decided that he wanted to be more charitable and he had to find a way to be more because he wasn't going to sacrifice for his family to be more charitable outward. So he just had to bring in more. And so he found ways of diversifying his own income, not relying 100% because his voice may not last forever. All these, this craft that he's honing, this talking really softly to draw you in, to being loud and boisterous may not last next year. So what else does he have to do? He had to get wise. He had to read books. He had to learn other things so he had that to write books so, so that he could diversify his yeah. his income stream so that financially he could continue being a success even when he is done public speaking. And so going back to the book and and your opinion is not top three shelves ish. It's, it's, it's definitely probably in my top 150 200. Okay. Um, that's, I know it sounds low when you read though 600 books in a couple of years, it's not a bad place to be. And that's a top 25%. And that's what I, you know, again, as we, as we're structuring the mastermind library, there's no disrespect to, to Eric. This is, I think it's a great book for somebody who needs to learn how to take action and start the journey. Um, I, I think if you listen to and I appreciate a very tactical book, mm -hmm. a, a bullet point checklist. And I also appreciate a very um, well-written story mm -hmm. with kind of a fanciful thing. This, as an autobiography, it gave me a very good glimpse as to the inside workings of Eric's brain and how he got there. But it wasn't the kind of story that... Um, had you read 100 and 200 books that may be life-changing that way. Um, it is interesting knowing that he grew up in Detroit, Michigan, and that, you know, he talks about, you know, he was living on seven mile and you really never traveled more than a block each direction mm -hmm. or you'd get kind of in trouble, if you will. Um, and seeing the, the pressures that he had growing up that way, mm -hmm. okay, it's a, it's a great journey. It's a, it's a hero's journey kind of autobiography mm -hmm. in my mind. And if you've never really started or you don't really know where your, your vision is going to take you, this is a great book and tools to pick up to start that process. Yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, 
I, like I said, uh, it was a glimpse of my own eye because I, I believe I have ADHD. I've never been diagnosed, but all signs of things point that I might be a little bit touched with ADD or ADHD. Just ask anybody else who knows you exactly. and, and yes, you, you um, do. So the <clears> first <throat> half of his book, you know, up until about halfway through his Oak, uh, Oak Tree, Oak Ridge, Oak Ridge College, mm-hmm. um, the, there it was not a straight linear story and the jumping back and jumping forth is how I sometimes view my day of functions and activity where it's like, I'm doing this. Oh, I'm going over here and then I'm coming back over here and then oh, I'm over here. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't smooth. It was a little bit rougher up until again, like he got his why a little bit more entrenched. And then as he got his, uh, as he became more focused on what he wanted, his story became to smooth out the ride a little bit. And I don't know if that was intentional or not intentional. It, it just, jerk me here and there. It's like having a conversation about one thing and then going off on a tangent about a YouTube video you saw and then, then coming back to the conversation then going, oh yeah, and I got to get apples from the grocery store tonight. And the the flow was just part of that path. And it's like, and I don't know, again, it could either be genius in setting up the rocky beginning to the smoother you know, transition of later his later in life, or it could just be his mind on paper or his remembrance on paper. Or... It could be John Perry's filter. And so here's a, you know, flip the script on this. Here's, sure. here's the takeaway. Um, he talks about some of the people that he listened to when he was a kid. So as he's walking by the TV, he would see and hear the sports announcer on TV. And what I took from that is he's giving you the story and then he's doing his own color commentary, his own his own backstory. So he's the announcer in, you know, again, if you look at most sports, there's a play-by-play and there's a color commentary. And these two do the broadcast together. He was doing his own play-by-play and his own color commentary. Mm-hmm. And it, it was obvious when he then mentioned listening to those sports announcers that that's what he was writing it, in my opinion, mm-hmm. that's what he's writing it as is he's doing both of the announcer's jobs because he's the only author to the book. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's rough or smoother. I think it's a different book than, than what you in the John Perry Reach Architect style appreciate mm-hmm. um, and no different than that's probably one of the reasons it's not on higher up on my shelf because it's I would say and I, I feel bad saying beginner because that's not the right word it's for the person who finally knows that they don't know something you know you've moved from the and if you've ever seen that quadrant where yes. you don't know that you don't know and then you know that you don't know for the person who has finally realized that they're no longer in the I don't know that I don't know box and they are now in the I know that I don't know box of where I want to go and where my talents are and what he calls your superpowers. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're in in this box. Now that you know that you don't know, read the book, go through his PDF, start that journey to hone your craft 1% better every, every day. day. Um and get after it. And so from a beginner's level, and I, I, I struggle saying the word beginner. I thought about that for the last couple of days from the beginner level, because it's not a beginner level book. Self-actualization. <clears throat> when you're self, when you self-actualize that you want more and you're ready to get more. Great way to put it. Then this is a great book for you. And I would, I would strongly suggest getting it. 
I'm giving that, like I told you, I'm giving this book to all three of my boys and I want them to see a journey from somebody's raw beginnings mm-hmm. um, because I'm, I'm afraid that we kind of like when you talked about blue collar, white collar, you know, we, we pigeonhole people into things that my boys have never seen me struggle as a, you know, a college kid. He took him 12 years to get through his bachelor's, bachelor's degree, took me 10 and it took me 10 because I was so focused on running a restaurant that every time I fired assistant managers or we had an issue, who had to cover the shifts and who had to make sacrifices? The general manager. Well, it took me that long to get through because A, I wasn't committed because I didn't know what my why was. And my commitment to a career was less important than my commitment to myself. And as soon as that why changed, okay, get the degree, then start moving on to post-bachelor degree education, and the whys become everything. Well, again, we've heard start with why, what's your why, over and over, but Eric puts it in a much different perspective in this book. Mm -hmm. So um, I I do appreciate the book. I I appreciate the writing style, having gone through it now twice. Um, I think it's a great book for somebody who needs to realize that there's a long journey and path and where you are today better not be where you are in 10, 15, 20 years. Good. So with that in mind, any other items you would like to talk about UOU by Eric Thomas? I think that we, I I covered everything that I could think about it at this time. Uh, Again, I believe it's a good book. I would recommend it. I think that yeah, whether you're at 16 and self and self actualize that what you want is more out of life and you're very ambitious, or if you're 25 and you're tired of living at home with your parents and you want to do something more with your life, you know, I think this is a great book uh, for that. I think it'd be awesome if we had it in college, you know, bookstores for them to just buy as a recommended list or at the high school level. Maybe I'll do that. Uh, the Yuma Union High School they have the recommended reading list. That they put uh, that would be a great one. In, uh, so I'll probably recommend this to them because again, if I feel that this would be more impactful, the younger you are, as long as you're open and ready mm-hmm. to receive the message that it has to offer. And I I feel like you've hit the nail on the head because if you look at a lot of his speeches, therefore college kids, the advantage program that he and his partner set up on a college campus. It's for young adults, and not to say that's what this book is, but I think his passion is helping people get ahead in life where he was struggling at those points in his life. Um, Certainly he does big stuff for big people and big speeches and sports teams and influencers, but I think his passion is for those college kids, the ones who just, they don't know that they don't know yet, and they're finally, the, the hair on the back of their neck is standing up that, I know that there's something I don't know, but I don't know the path to walk yet. So if you're ready to walk that path with a guy who wears sneakers, hoodies, and a hat on backwards, I think this is a great book for you. That's a great way to sum it up. So from uh, Derek Agerberg, The Approval Coach, this is the Mastermind Library. Certainly enjoyed the book. John Perry, The Reach Architect. Uh, Great book. I would recommend it to anyone who likes to read it and wants a different perspective of something that they may never have considered before. And because this is a book that is kind of outside what you and I would normally gravitate to, I would be very interested in comments down below. 
I want to know what you all think of it and if there's points that, that you think we should talk about on the book. Um, would also love to know what people think of his flight assessment test. So yes. get on there, buy the book. Back page gives you the code to go take his flight assessment test. Get on there and take it. And let's have some discussions about personality profiles in a way that is not the typical DISC profile that you would see in big business books. Yeah, sometime in the near future, we'll post our own flight assessments uh, in the comment in the, in the area below on our webpage. If you see this on YouTube, uh, go to the webpage on our book assessment and we'll post ours as well. So that again, we can share with you where we're at with it and be curious to get your take on it as well. Absolutely. So from all of us at the Mastermind Library, have a great week, everybody. Bye for now. Bye for now.